Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing, a weekly podcast where we stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, helping you get the best results from your marketing efforts. Now let's join our hosts, Paul Avery and Martin Broadhurst. Welcome to episode 13 of Artificially Intelligent Marketing. Lucky number 13, Martin. What are your thoughts on that? I think something's going to go horribly wrong. Let's hope not. Um, I think maybe it'll be the best episode ever. So that's what I'm aiming for. Um, What have we got for you all lovely people this week? Well, we've got a few short snippets as usual. We've got a series of main stories um, that we're going to cover today, including HubSpot rolling out campaign assistant. We're going to look at an attorney in the US who used ChatGPT to uh, build a brief um, that was then full of junk, unfortunately, because ChatGPT made loads of stuff up and there was a big hullabaloo. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a sneak peek in, into the future of OpenAI um, from Sam Altman. And we're going to talk about a new paper that was released this week where OpenAI trained and the model based on its reasoning, not its outcome. We'll talk about a little bit about that later. And we're also going to lean into our tool of the week this week, which is Recraft AI. Right, let's get them short snippets done first, Martin, because they're quickies this week. Um, Some of you lovely folks might have seen that Microsoft is rolling out intelligent recap for Teams meetings. So in essence, intelligent recap is bringing a number of the features that a couple of other tools already have, like Tactique and Otter, in terms of doing things like smart meeting summaries, capturing the actions and that type of stuff. Um, so if you're a Microsoft Teams user, user, and especially if you're already a premium user, go check that out. Um, I'm not, so I haven't been able to play with it, but you definitely should, because I bet it can save you and your team some time. Then we had a fairly interesting and cool life science company called Benchside that raised $95 million to help build out, further build out its AI drug discovery platform. I haven't had a chance to dig into this too much yet, Martin, but it looks really cool, like they're collating biological data from across a wide range of sources and using machine learning and um, visual recognition to basically make that information searchable and for you to be able to draw links between, I don't know, different disease states, different drug trials from the past and that type of stuff. So yeah, I haven't dug in too deep to say for sure, but looks kind of interesting and I will be looking into that in a bit more detail. And then the last short snippet is the launch of NVIDIA's generative AI service, NVIDIA ACE, which is for game developers. Um, This was pretty cool because one of the demos was trying to use low latency um, natural language generation to have non-playable characters interact with you in a less formulaic way. So you can imagine you're playing a game and you see a uh, you're playing it through for the sixth time and rather than being able to predict what that character says when you walk up to them you no longer can with this type of technology because they'll automatically adapt to the different things that you might say to them you're smiling i saw the demo of uh, yeah i saw the demo and it was a player walking up to someone there was a an npc behind the bar and um yeah it was the conversation that took place it just looked cool you can just immediately imagine how much an open world game is going to be expanded by that i mean yeah incredible really we've got um app supposedly we've got apple's um vr ar headset announcement next week as well so that'll be quite interesting to see how much that leaps the industry forward because that would be the other bit of technology to plug into your vision there mine wouldn't it for 
maybe being fully immersed and able to not physically but walk up to the bar in vr and have that conversation would be pretty cool yeah yeah i think the <laughs> vr games just haven't quite tipped over yet into the mainstream there's still something holding people back but if any company can make it mainstream let's be honest i think our money would be on apple to do so that's what i'm kind of hoping for if i'm honest i've got a, i've had a quest 2 since probably the start of the pandemic so um, not long after they came out um and i i really like it i think it's a cool piece of tech um there's a boxing simulator which is surprisingly fun to play there's a golfing simulator which is awesome playing table tennis in vr basically got me through the pandemic in some respects um so i think there's loads of niche cases that are really enjoyable but you're right if, if apple can bring it to the mainstream that would be kind of cool and when i saw this story i couldn't help but think with my marketing head if we can create npcs that can be that dynamic and with things like unreal engine 5.2 and like really significantly improvements uh, significant improvements in graphics does this change how things like bots customer service bots and sales bots on websites might operate right because you might actually it might be more like a virtual video call the bots on those websites rather than a little chat window and we might be able to have fairly dynamic interactions with them a little bit like you you would with npc so if they can develop and enhance and figure out how to make the technology working games we might see it filter into customer service sales and marketing ah there's a thought Right, let's get into our big old stories for this week. And we're going to start with number one, which is that HubSpot rolls out Campaign Assistant, their free AI marketing asset creator. You've been uh, having a little look at this, Martin. Tell us more about it. This was in beta, and actually it still is in beta, but they've opened it up that anybody can access it now. And this is a generative AI tool from HubSpot that will generate copy for landing pages, emails, or Google ads. Um, and it's quite a nice interface. You just answer a few questions. Um, it literally has a little box that tells you uh, to describe what it is that you want to promote or that you're offering. And then it will ask about the tone and the style. So you can select three boxes and pretty much that's it. And then it will spit out a result. Um, it's 100% free to use. It doesn't look like they're making any restrictions on this at all. You do need a HubSpot account. So when you go along to the uh, campaign assistant, if you don't have a HubSpot login, you will be asked to sign up to the tool, um, at which point you will then uh, be part of that uh, that ecosystem. But yeah, I thought the fact that it is completely free to use is is pretty generous. The outputs are really good. Um, I thought when I used it myself, I wasn't sure whether they've maybe in their system prompt, um, in the way that they've configured it, um, whether they've given it quite tight kind of specification and examples with fine tuning. Uh, I suspect that they have, um, but it, you can actually see the user input as the prompt. So when you when you generate the the output you you see the the input that it gives you so it just takes the text that you put in the boxes and puts that as a as a user prompt as if you've spoke to chat gpt and you get the answer out from the agent right uh, i did come across uh, a little frustration at the moment with it and that's basically the, it's kind of a standalone tool 
So it isn't fully integrated into the wider HubSpot suite. So if you are a HubSpot user already, uh, just be aware that this isn't like you're going to go into the email section, create a new email, and then within that space, you're going to be able to generate some text and just populate it into your campaign. It's standalone. So you have to copy the text and then paste it into your campaign. And actually what I found quite frustrating in my use case of it um, when I was testing it is I copied the text to add it into a campaign. I dropped it in and actually the text didn't add the kind of formatting. So the markup was included in the copy, if that makes So it said headline and then said the headline and it said paragraph one and then added paragraph one. So just adding it into the into the actual content editor within the, the email uh, interface was just a bit clunky. You just had to edit that. But other than that, I mean, bear in mind, this is a, a beta product and it's completely free and looks like it's going to remain free for everyone. I think they've done a really solid job. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I had a bit of a play with this in the beta. I think I was using it to come up with outlines and copy for blog posts, just a couple of experiments. And certainly my feeling at the time was, and I think this maybe maybe was pre-GPT-4, I can't remember, but my feeling at the time was, I'm a bit surprised at the high quality of the both the outlines and the content I was getting in terms of how informed it was on the topics. Now, of course, I was testing marketing-based topics for the Biostrata blog, and you would hope that HubSpot's generative tools would know a bit about marketing, given they're for HubSpot. So I, I don't know whether they've trained their their tools on you know data they've got or other sources. But at the time, I remember thinking this is better than I'm currently getting out of say ChatGPT or other tools. So that was quite good. Did you have any experiences where you could sort of ascertain? How good is the information that it, this is producing? How well written is it or anything like that? No, I, I, I thought that it did stay quite close to the to the style. In a couple of in, instances, for instance, I, I actually tried to create a, a marketing email promoting the podcast. And in the input text where I described what I was promoting, I explained the podcast and I said, uh, I present it with you, and I said that this is Paul Avery, CEO of Biostrata. And then when it wrote the the actual copy, it kind of got confused because it was attached to my company's HubSpot portal. So it talked about it being from my company, but then talked about our CEO, Paul Avery, CEO of Biostrata. So it, it, it just kind of got a bit lost with those kind of little minor details. Um, but other than that, I actually thought the way that it structured the email, so it had um, you know, appropriate paragraph length, it had subheaders, it, it didn't, yeah, I thought I th thought it did a really good job. It is powered by OpenAI. It is. So it does have a disclaimer on it saying uh, you have to basically be aware that, you know, you're kind of sending data to them and um, not to share any sensitive information. It does like, does explicitly say that in the um, in the input prompt. That's probably useful to know. Thanks, Martin. So there you have it. If you're a HubSpot user or you're in the habit of coming up with business ideas and throwing up a landing page in HubSpot to see if you can get anybody to sign up or anybody interested, you can now set up a free HubSpot account and start playing with some of those tools. 
for people that have never used any generative AI, this campaign assistant just makes it dead simple. And the fact that it's free is a lovely bonus. Agreed. So there you are, people. Go and have a play. Let's move on to story number two, Martin. So this is a this is an interesting one, and we're using this as a as a launch pad for a, a wider discussion on the pros and cons and risks and rewards of using generative AI tools. So I'd be very surprised if anybody hasn't seen this news right now because it was blew up across many different news networks outside of the fact that it was just AI. But uh, attorney Stephen Schwartz in the States submitted a brief um, as part of a lawsuit against Avianca, a Colombian airline, and used ChatGPT to generate the brief. Uh, I've got the, it's been widely reported, but I've got the New York Times article here in front of me at the moment saying that it was a 10-page brief that cited more than a half a dozen relevant court decisions, but unfortunately, none of them were real. It's so stupid. <laughs> it's just such as, oh, I can't believe you did it. It's kind of crazy. So a couple of things here, just to let you know that just so that we all realize how fallible we are and how easily this could happen, right? So Mr. Schwartz, according to the New York Times, has practiced law in New York for three decades. This is not an intern or someone fresh out of grad school. This is someone who has been playing this game for a very long time and I'm sure understands the importance of verifiable sources, right? Um, and in fairness to Mr. Schwartz, he also threw himself, as the New York Times says, on the mercy of the court on Thursday, saying that he used the artificial intelligence program to do his legal research, um, in quotes, a source that has revealed itself to be unreliable. No SH1T <laughs> Sherlock. Um, so I think this just goes to show just how easily you can end up if you just leverage the stuff that that these models you know push out as fact you can get yourself into um, a sticky situation pretty quickly who could have predicted that that would happen i mean it, it's so stupid i kind of makes my brain hurt but fair play to him for holding his hands up and saying yep you caught me can you imagine being the opposition um legal team in that instance and you're spending all that time crawling and trawling all of the court documents and case law and going we just we just can't find it has he just has he just made it up that would and be then strategic though wouldn't it it's like i yeah. need to keep them busy while i figure out my real argument here go look up these sources that sound plausible but are not real and then um, that moment when his client must have found out in the courtroom sorry you did what you, you, I'm paying you how many dollars an hour? And you just, oh my dear Lord. Yeah, so it does go to show um, that, that anybody can be duped. And it goes back to that point about um, uh, when ChatGPT was first launched, people saying that ChatGPT is a bull. It, it, you know, it, it tells BS, yes. right? Yes. And it, it's convincing and you you read it and you think it's real. I had an incident recently where um, I was testing the the plugin, the um, the new browsing plugin in, in ChatGPT. And it was after the Sam Altman Senate hearing. 
And one of the clips that I heard, or one of the bits of the conversation that I wanted to kind of dial into was about nutritional labeling for AI systems. And I asked ChatGPT to, uh, to explain this a bit more. And I thought, well, you know, it's been mentioned at this hearing, so it must be a topic that a few people have, have written about. And it came back to me and said, um, what you're referring to with nutrition, nutrition labeling is actually model cards. And model cards were created by Google and they're a way of explaining what an AI model does, blah, 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 blah. And I just knew that wasn't true. But if I didn't know that, I would have just taken it as, as read because actually it sounded plausible. And if you're someone that doesn't you know, follow these things closely. So I had to say to it, I kind of gave it a telling off and said, no, that's that's just not right. Um, this is a very new concept. Um, but actually what was interesting, upon telling it off and telling it to try again, it must have refined its kind of search parameters because it ended up coming back saying, oh, this concept was mentioned at this Senate hearing earlier this week. Um, I can't find any other information about it. This must be a new concept and therefore just kind of watch this space it's so um, interesting isn't it that you because i've seen people chastise chat gpt for being wrong and then it's like oh no you're right i'm i'm wrong thanks for letting me know and it's like well if you if you knew why did you do it and that's because it doesn't know because using the word no is a you know a misnomer it's not a correct use of a term here because it it's just based on its probability of what it thinks the next term should be even if it can it can browse the web so it's going to be um it's going to be you know there's going to be this issue is going to be in the system i mean in the case of mr schwartz according to the new york times article he told the judge judge castell that he asked the program to verify the cases were real and it said yes right well well if you've that's due diligence <laughs> indeed what you pay them big money for so i think in summary and this kind of reiterates but it's a perfect real life example of things that we said on this podcast several times many times at this point which is having an expert in the loop to verify the information that's coming out of these tools is absolutely critical otherwise you will make yourself and or your company look like fools and you either need to understand the topics that you're prompting it about so that you can you know, provide that critical thinking and analysis to what comes out, where you need to be prepared to do rigorous due diligence on quite a lot of stuff that's coming through from them, but certainly anything that you think sounds a bit dubious. Yeah. Right. Um, let us move on to the next story then, which in this case is a little, perhaps a little bit of insight into where OpenAI is going where GPTs are going. Um, so this comes um, from humanloop.com, where Raza Habib um, has documented an interview with Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, and a number of other developers um, to talk about where OpenAI is going. And this article is fascinating because it's got loads of like juicy bits in it. So we're going to pull some out here, aren't we, Martin, in real time based on the things that that we found the most interesting. So where do you want to start? I think start at the top. So the OpenAI heavily uh, GPT, sorry, GPT, GPU limited at present, which is not a massive surprise. We know that um, 
the amount of compute power required for these large language models is massive. It actually links back to uh, what could have been one of the short snippets this week, which is NVIDIA developers of GPU technology uh, just about, I'm not sure if they quite broke the trillion dollar mark this week, but their um, investors clearly see a lot of opportunity for them in the AI space at the moment. So um, their their valuation went through the roof. But yeah, uh, GPU uh, capacity is what is delaying the short-term plans of OpenAI at the moment. Um, and apparently Sam acknowledged their concern and explained that most of the issue was the result of GPU shortages, specifically around frustrations that users have when it comes to the speed of GPT-4, because people get a bit frustrated with that. But also, um, some of the functionality that that was teased when they announced GPT uh, GPT four at the launch event, and Greg Brockman did the demo with turning the, the the you know the pencil sketch and a notebook into a real working website. Um, that multimodality is is not coming anytime soon, based on what this report says. We're not going to see that until twenty twenty four. Um, simply because uh, they need more GPUs to come online. Slightly frustrating because there's a, a couple of projects that have been approached about recently that um, would would utilize that capability quite um, beautifully. But uh, yeah, we must uh, we must wait. Who would have thought that GPU access would end up slowing a lot of this stuff down versus the scramble for regulation? If indeed, I mean, this is just one data point, but if indeed that is proving a major bottleneck, that's um, that's quite interesting. I mean, the other thing that we're seeing in the world of open source is people finding clever ways to make these large language models be able to produce high quality outputs, but without anywhere near the amount of compute power required, smaller models, fewer parameters and all those types of things. So I think it goes to show that there is a number of pressures to try well we talked about water use last week but cost and all these other factors to actually try and figure out how to get these models these tools that we're using to operate without quite so much compute power required so i think we'll Mm. see that as well yeah and attached to that um to that compute power kind of uh, restriction at the moment is also something that um was teased or spoke about when GPT-4 was launched, which was the context window. So GPT-4 was announced and it had an an 8K context window and a 32K context window. But the rollout of the 32K context um, via the API has been incredibly slow. I don't know anyone actually that um, has has got access to that. Um, But they are saying that higher context windows um, as high as 1 million tokens we've spoken at length on this podcast in recent weeks about anthropic's uh, 100k context window in claude a million tokens that's 750,000 words apparently 1 million contact 1 million token context windows are plausible in the near future that makes me salivate but also makes me realize that you would absolutely burn through cash um, using that API. Well, yeah, unless they can get it down. One of the things in this article that they mentioned that's, you know, that Sam focused on is a cheaper and faster GPT-4 is is more important to them right now than, say, GPT-5. 
to try and drive the cost of these things down so that certainly in terms of API use, they keep the price down. Because as you mentioned, 1 million tokens would, would burn cash. You'd have to charge quite a lot to offer that as a service. And we were speaking off air. What could you do with a million tokens? Um, and we were like, oh, you could like throw the text of like 10 marketing books in and from there ask it um you know what's what's um what do these books agree about what do they disagree about what are the key contention points what are the key discussion points imagine doing that with religious texts crumbs that would be an interesting one right <laughs> although probably i don't know maybe some a lot of religious texts might really stretch the context window a bit but um that i think there's a lot of interesting stuff that could come out the back of that yeah massively i mean i like i say it gets my um gets my juices going yeah that'd be cool i think some other things that sam talked about that they were aiming for for this year are um is what's what's called in this article a stateful api so in other words when you when you call the api today you have to keep passing through the same conversation history and pay for those tokens and in the future they're hoping for a version of the api that remembers the conversation history so these are all things that will just make it easier for people to build tools on top of it that make for a much much more natural conversation style where you can sort of say to whatever tool you're using hey you remember that thing we were talking about last week and it'll go yeah yeah do you mean this thing well yeah yeah cool i want to go back to that um without having to like scroll through a load of chat histories and obviously ideally connect those chat histories together i guess and when you look at the expense of gpt4 in terms of the uh the cost per per token like i think a thousand tokens is like three cents as an input prompt and six cents on the output that's that's really expensive um compared to what we've seen on uh, gpt3 and 3.5 um so you bringing those costs down if you imagine that chat window if you've got a long conversation and every time you called the api you're pushing all of that through that's the, it, it does soon start to rack up. So I can see why that's going to be a, a priority for them. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I think the last thing we'll pull from this article that we found interesting, Martin, was the concept of plugins within ChatGPT not having product market fit yet. Um, so the article says um, that the usage of plugins other than browsing doesn't have product market fit yet. And he suggested that a lot of people thought they wanted their apps to be inside ChatGPT, but what they really wanted was ChatGPT inside their apps. And when you think about how people are using a lot of apps at the moment, that makes sense. It's almost like mm -hmm. ChatGPT is an enabling technology inside of you trying to do something else, right? Even just um, the HubSpot platform that you talked about at the beginning of this episode was around a goal like i want to write a landing page i want to write an email i want to interrogate my database of contacts to know who lives in the cambridgeshire area because i'm going out and about and i want to go meet with some of them like that context is key and so i think this fits in it mind with some of our experiences somewhat frustrating experiences trying to use the plugin um library because some of them don't really work very well or have very specific use cases and other these types of things. So it's not necessarily a surprise to hear Sam Altman say that, but I think maybe it shows you that the whole open AI is going to dominate the world by having like the 
app marketplace for chat GPT apps maybe is not the way it's going to go. Yeah, I'm not sold on the plugins yet. I haven't found a killer app. I think the browsing plugin is kind of slow. Um, the Ask Your PDF one is pretty good. And I think there's a Video Insights one, um, which does a pretty decent job of pulling out some insights from YouTube videos and whatnot. But uh, for the most part, there's actually quite a lot of trash. I'd agree. I think the best ones, not entirely, but some of the best ones for me are the ones that they were really good tools before you could just easily access them in ChatGPT. So we've yeah. we featured Ask My PDF on, on one of the early episodes of the podcast. It's a pretty cool tool. And what this just means is I don't have to go to that tool. I can just access it directly within ChatGPT. I think there's some cool things you can probably do with Zapier, but sometimes it's maybe just easier to just copy paste stuff yourself right like you can move you can ask ChatGPT to write an email for you based on a brief and then you can push it through zapier into gmail or you just copy paste <laughs> it right which is pretty fast and easy so i'm not super surprised to hear this because i think it fits with our experience doesn't it yeah, yeah absolutely and the zapier one's a good example actually because that's I'm, i really like the zapier integration when i'm doing it through zapier not when i'm doing it through chat gpt yeah i i'm usually building multi-step processes in zapier and that's where the power is i'm like get this piece of data from here and here interpret it like this push it here and then do that which is at least as i understand it um from my tests beyond the scope of um yeah. of chat gpt although i'm sure yeah, there's same some here. pretty cool stuff that i haven't been able to do with it Right. We're going to move on in the interest of time, Martin. We're going to move on to our our last story today, which is um, a research paper that came out this week. We'll only touch on this briefly, um, where OpenAI had trained a model using um, human reinforcement-based learning, but rather than training it by feeding back when it got the right outcome, they actually molded how it worked based on the reasoning that it took. So, Here's a quote um, from the OpenAI website. We've trained a model to achieve a new state of the art in mathematical problem solving by rewarding each correct step of reasoning, process supervision, instead of simply rewarding the correct final answer, outcome supervision. In addition to boosting performance relative to outcome supervision, process supervision also has an important alignment benefit. It directly trains the model to produce a, a chain of thought that is endorsed by humans. I think I, I saw this story and, you know, we're not, we're enthusiasts. We're not machine learning experts, but a lot of the problems that come up in some of the discussions that we've had over time is, well, ChatGPT and large language models, they don't think they just get to an outcome, but in a very different way from how humans do, because it's all based on complex neuro neural architecture based on probability matrices and and determination parameters and all these other things and they don't in inverted commas think like us but this sounds to me like they're trying to help the models think like us they're trying to teach them logical <laughs> reasoning and, and things like that which i can imagine would be really beneficial in some instances in terms of getting better outcomes but also we've also talked about it's OpenAI and other large language model developers and providers can't often describe or explain how the tool got the results. But that might be easier if you've actually trained the thing 
for things to think in a certain way or to process information in a certain way. So I just thought that was a cool paper. Any thoughts on this, Martin? Yeah, well, chain of thought prompting has been shown to improve uh, outputs for a while now. And I think it's really interesting that they're kind of doubling down on the reinforcement learning of that. So to improve that as a as a methodology for the coming up with the outputs as well. So, yeah, I saw this. They were big on it. OpenAI published it and, and Greg Brockman was was tweeting all about it. Um, and like you say, this is kind of beyond our area of expertise in terms of machine learning um, development. But yeah, cool to see them doing reinforcement learning in different domains or different areas. Absolutely. And I think as a marketer, if there are particular use cases that these tools are not good at or untrustworthy in, this might help to see some improvements in terms of improving their logical reasoning rather than just potentially regurgitating a remix of information that is in the training data that helped train the weights in the model to you know produce a specific output. Just as a general note as well, I, listeners, if they haven't tried chain of thought prompting, add that into the prompt. So ask it, if you're asking it to, to kind of do some planning or come up with a strategy or do a piece of maths, try saying to it, uh, show your working and show the steps to get to the output and uh, it will in, it will improve the, the response that you get mm, interesting thanks for sharing that martin i'm gonna have a little play with that right last but not least let's look at our tool of the week it's a quickie because um we've not dug into using it too much but it's been a question that i've been asked a number of times recently um, and so it might just be worth flagging in case people want to go and play with it. So the tool itself is called recraft.ai and it's another image generation tool, but it's an image generation tool with a difference. And the reason it's different is because it produces vector-based images. So, so far when you're using stable diffusion-based models, you get gorgeous images, but they are JPEGs, PNGs, they are like your photographs that you would take. Um, as such, they are limited in terms of their resolution and a number of other factors. You can't easily change color of specific elements and all those good bits. What you really want, if you want to be able to scale images infinitely or to be able to easily change colors and, and move bits of images around is to have them as vectors. Um, and for most marketers, their exposure to vectors is mostly going to be things like logos icons some sort of fairly simplistic i would have thought compared to photographs graphics and what recraft ai allows you to do is it allows you to provide a natural language prompt like you would for midjourney or any other tool similar tool but what you can do is produce vectors like icons colored icons out just like text-based outlines um you can ask it to to do all of the um, things that you would imagine, like I was playing with it, trying to create different icons that you might use on a website. Um, and once it produces them, you can actually go in and edit bits of that vector. So you can change the colors and things like that, which was pretty cool. Um, when I tried to get creative and I really tried to get outside of what would be a standard icon, it did struggle. Um, so for example, I asked it six people holding hands in a circle icon to form the shape of a light bulb. And it just 
had no chance. Um, it did not do well at all, um, but it did try. Um, and so I, I think that for those people who had been trying to get those sort of icon style outputs, this might be um, this might be a tool that, to play with and go and give a try to. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely check that one out. It's also one that we're expecting to see as a piece of functionality in Firefly. You look at Firefly um, kind of coming soon. Uh, it's one of the tools there, text to vector. Yeah, because we were when we were having a play with Firefly, you could do some cool stuff with their vector tool in the beta, but it was kind of limited. And I do think when they roll that out into Photoshop, I'm expecting we'll see a huge amount of extra power because when you can actually edit those vectors in Adobe Illustrator and do some of the things I'm talking about here, I think it will be cool. Um, so, look, if I if I was going to be brutally honest, I'd say Recraft AI. It's free at the moment. You can just create a login and go and have a play with it. Maybe get some of the stuff that you want when this comes to Photoshop, um, to Adobe Suite and you can do this in, in Illustrator. I think it's probably going to fit most people's workflows a bit better. Yeah, that sounds like a, a fair shout. Um, but definitely worth a play. And I was I was impressed at how easy to use it is. The different like when you um, when you ask for your icon, it's a little bit like Mid Journey. Like it gives you four or five options, and then you can recraft, which is basically I didn't like the ones I got. Go and have another go. Um, and um, yeah, I think um, I think for certainly for graphic designers, I'll be having a play and see if it can speed up your workflow. Um, and for small marketing teams, solo marketers that want to see if they can just produce some novel icons quickly without having to go out to a designer. Maybe it will help you get some of the way that you need to go. Um, I haven't played with it enough to say how reliable the output is, but I, th I think it's worth having a play with. Right, I think we'll leave it there, shall we, Martin, for another week? Yeah, I think so. I can just um, leave now and go and be sad about the series succession having come to an end. I've been really enjoying that in recent weeks, but uh have to find something new to watch now. Do you know, if it's not Derby County bringing you down, now is it's, it's succession. Have you seen um, For All Mankind on the Apple TVs? I have not. I, I didn't think I was going to like it. It's about, this is not what this podcast is about. Apologies, everyone. But it's um an alternate history as if the Russians got to the moon first and the space race that that kicked off. And it so it starts off at a point in time that's the same, if you like, as our history. And then it quickly diverges and then goes through time. And I'm only like six episodes in, um, but it's been really fascinating. That's worth having a little look at. And what's that called? It's called For All Mankind, I think. For All Mankind. Cool. Yeah. I'll check it out. Right then. Um, thanks always, Martin, for your time. Always lovely. And I will catch you next week. Yeah. See you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, follow us, Aim Marketing Pod on Twitter and head to the website, artificiallyintelligentmarketing.com and share your comments, give us feedback, send us your voice notes on WhatsApp, which we haven't given you a number for, but we will do one day. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that about sums it up for me. Right. Have a lovely weekend, everyone. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to Artificially Intelligent Marketing. To stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, be sure to subscribe. We look forward to seeing you again next week.